Thank you for joining us for this message from More Life Church, where we exist to love God, to love people, and to reach a region for Jesus and to make a difference for generations to come. Now, to learn more about how we're reaching our community and how you can partner with us and learn how God has uniquely designed you, check out Grow Steps on Demand by visiting morelifechurch.com slash growsteps or by downloading our app today. But for now, enjoy today's message. Morning, church. Glad to see you. I got to tell you, I am so stinking excited for tonight and tomorrow and Tuesday. And I hope that you are too. And I hope that you're making plans to join us tonight at seven for the Living Faith Crusade, um, Monday at seven, Tuesday at seven, and then Monday and Tuesday at 1030 for prayer. It's going to be brilliant. I'm so excited that uh, Pastor and Mrs. Hagen are going to be here doing these um, series of meetings. So um, why, don't you, why don't you do this before we get into um, part two of our message series called Worship More Than a Song. Why don't you put your hands together and welcome your church family watching online. Glad you guys are watching. Thank you for watching. Yesterday we had a, um, we had a um, Pastor Larry organized and led a work day, and so we got a bunch done yesterday. So I'm just want to give a shout out to all the people who showed up yesterday and made work day a success. Thank you uh, for helping us and making a difference. Today, um, as we get into uh, week two of this series, I want you to turn in your Bibles or find on your um, device First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29. This is kind of our key text for the entire series, 1 Chronicles 16, uh, verse 29. And I'm going to ask you to um, make it a point to commit this, uh, this verse to memory. It's fairly short and doable, and so um, give yourself some time and look at it and make it, um, make it a part of your daily and weekly routine. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29 says this, Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The promise that I've made to you during this series is that if we will shift in our mind from a production mindset into focusing on God's presence, it will have a dramatic uh, positive impact in our life. What do I mean by production? Well, you could, you could take an easy example of what we do on Sunday morning, lights, cameras, action, that sort of production part of it. And it's easy to get caught up as a church, even for us as leaders leading through a service, to get caught up in all the technical things to make sure they're exactly right. And you can have every technical detail of production correct and not have God's presence in our midst. And that's not what we're after. In your own life, you could, you could focus on making sure that all of your hours are spent exactly right. You could worry about what you're producing in terms of income, what the to-do list is, whether it's getting done or not, and be so hyper-focused on what you as a human are producing in life, you forget to pursue his presence. And so I wanted to take a handful of weeks and remind us that it's time to kind of slow down and make sure we're focusing on the thing that matters most, which is God's presence in our life. And last week we looked at some scriptures and asked some questions. I just wanna review real quick. Last week we learned this, that worship is at its core about attention and time. That when we are worshiping, it involves our attention, what we pay attention to, and the enemy of attention is distraction. And we live in a very distracted world, wouldn't you? Would you agree with me that we live in a world that's easily, we're easily distracted in the world around us? The second one is time. The enemy of time is impatience. 
We get impatient, we want to hurry, we want to move on to the next thing. And so we saw that last week. We asked these three questions, and I'm just gonna remind you, well, I'll just remind you of one that I think is important as we look into this series. It's this question. Did we in our worship, did we worship authentically? Did we worship authentically? And really, we're the only ones that can answer that question for us. That's really a thing that's between us and God. I can't look on the outside and external expression and know whether or not you really authentically worshiped today as we were here together. I could form some judgments, I could have an opinion, and so could you, but, but really you have to be the one that determines, did I worship authentically? Was this really just about me and God? Did I give it my all? And, and there were moments in this morning where you had a chance to do that, and I hope you took advantage of that. Today, as, um, as we move ahead, I've, we're gonna look at John chapter four. So if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter four. And I've titled today's message, titled the message today, Head, Shoulders, Knees, and Toes. Head, Shoulders, Knees, and Toes. How many of you just time traveled when I said head, shoulders, knees, and toes to some classroom or some setting where you went through the physical calisthenics of that song? That'll make sense to you here in a little bit, but I can just jump ahead and tell you this, that God's design for worship is that it involves your whole being, your whole person. It isn't meant just to be one component of you. And Jesus has a very interesting interaction here in John chapter four. And um, I'm gonna begin reading in verse 20, but I have to tell you what happened before this. Jesus is at a well and he's thirsty and he's there with a woman who is a Samaritan. And so you have context. Um, Jesus being Jewish, being a Jew, Jews and Samaritans did not interact with each other. Um, there, there was quite a lot of uh, racial, ethnic tension between those two people groups. So you have to understand that these two um, individuals really aren't supposed to be interacting like this. This past week when, when I was in Dallas, um, I've, I've learned to not rent cars anymore if I'm going to a conference because they kind of end up being a waste of money. And so I just take an Uber from the airport to the hotel and have a hotel close enough to the conference center that I can just walk and it's just easier. It's just easier that way. Well, um, in, one of my, in one of my Uber, I always, I'm always fascinated by my Uber driver's background. I'm interested by their names. I'm interested in where they came from. And so I just enter into these conversations. And um, the, the one individual, he, um, he came to this country from Afghanistan. And I, I cannot repeat his name. It was, it was a lot of letters together that is against kind of how I know how to form words. You understand what I'm saying? So I won't dishonor him by mispronouncing his name. But um, it was interesting because we got into a conversation about our backgrounds and about our faith. He's Muslim. And it occurred to me that... Um, my experience sounded like the beginning of kind of a joke, a Christian and a Muslim are in an Uber together. It, just like, it sounded like, a, like someone setting up for a punchline, right? And so we had a, we had a really interesting conversation. And um, just feel the tension of this verse for a minute. There are people groups still to this day that are at odds with one another. Black, white, Christian, Muslim, straight, gay, so on and so forth. There's just tensions. And it, and it occurs to me that 
A lot doesn't get done because we're afraid of, we're more afraid of our differences that we have with human beings than we are in finding out where we stand in common. So we don't even have conversations because we're afraid. Well, what if, what if my ignorance causes them to think that I'm a bigot? What if I say the wrong thing and they think I'm this? So we don't even have the conversations. You need to, before we get too far into this text, you have to understand that this is a very brave, courageous conversation between Jesus and the woman. Both are entering, entering into a really courageous space to even discuss things. And they discuss some really deep things. They talk about everlasting life. They talk about marriage and divorce. They talk about worship, which is what we're gonna focus on. But right before they start talking about worship, Jesus calls this woman out and says, um, the person that you're with isn't your husband and you've been married to five people before this, which could be really an interesting kind of strange thing to discuss if you, if you put yourself in that situation, right? He's like, yeah, um, you've been married and divorced five times and the woman you're current, or the man you're currently living with isn't even your husband. How many people in today's society would just totally get offended at that and just walk away and end the conversation? I could get in real trouble, but let's, yeah, let's give it a run and let's see how we do. Um, if you back up even further, Jesus asks the woman to give him something to drink. If a man starts ordering a woman around in today's society, he's going to be called a sexist, Right? And so like, even like those types of things, a lot happens upstream of this moment, but the thing that's amazing to me is they, they keep talking to each other. And, and this isn't a part of the notes, and I really didn't intend to say this, but as human beings, can we just have the courage to just keep talking to each other? Can we just have the courage to just, just, just be willing to sound ignorant and unlearned in a subject and just keep having the conversation? I didn't know much about my Uber driver's background except for certain things that I've read. But what I found out was that in that short ride, it was two human beings trying to figure out their way in the world. Simon said, did you convert him? Nope. But I took a step and I talked to him, right? And he left knowing this Christ follower didn't just quote 85 verses to me in an 18-minute car ride to try to convert me. Listen, there's no pressure on our life to have that. It's, it's, it's about helping people take one step closer, one step closer. So just evaluate, in your because listen, everything we do is an act of worship. Anything that flows from our heart with the intention of honoring God is worship. So so are we endeavoring to help people take one step closer to Christ? That's the question for you. Uh, that isn't anywhere in the notes or meant to be a part of the message, but I think it will serve us all really well, don't you think? Let's just keep having the conversation. John chapter four, verse 20. Here is what this woman says. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we worship. Excuse me, we know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. Watch this. But the hour is coming, and now is, 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Everybody say spirit. spirit. And I'll say truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. This is the kind of worshiper Jesus says that God is in search of. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Say spirit and say truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. We see in this passage two key words, spirit and truth. And this is what I want to contrast for us. And I want you to ask yourself, have you been a spirit worshiper or have you been a truth worshiper or have you been able to blend the two together? Because that's the kind of worshiper God is looking for. But before I get there, um, she talks about the place that we worship. And places are very, very powerful. Uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Larry did a message called um, EPA. He talked about our environments. So if you want to dive into that and I say something that's interesting to you, go back and listen to Pastor Larry's message on environments. But places are powerful. Places are very powerful. Um, think about for a moment, think about your eating habits, all right? How many of you, just, just interact with me for just a moment, how many of you would say you eat um, at least 70% of your meals in your home that someone has made in your home? Can I, can I see your hands? 70%. Okay. How many of you would say you eat 70% of your meals outside of your home? Let me see your hands. Many of you don't eat. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> it's fine, I understand. So watch, this is very interesting. In, in like the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, most Americans ate food at home and their kitchens were this big. Now most Americans don't eat most of their meals at home and our kitchens are this big. We've, 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 we've attributed all this square footage for show. It doesn't mean anything. Not really. Not really. Places are powerful though. Can, can, can you eat at home? Yeah. Can you eat out away from home? Absolutely. Think about working out. How many of you, let's be interactive. How many of you all work out regularly? Let me see your hands. All right. How many of you don't work out? All right. How many of you think about it and don't do it? There we go. It's interesting how those hands correlated with the people and their eating habits too. That was just, just, so, you, just so you know, I caught, I, I, caught, I caught it all in my mind. Watch, so... Pastor Larry, in a former life, was a personal trainer. And I asked him, if, if there were 10 people who regularly work out, in your estimation, what percentage of them go to the gym or a personal trainer to work out? He said, at least 90%, maybe more. So nine out of 10 people who work out need the habit and routine and place of a gym and the accountability of a gym and a personal trainer to work out. About 10% would actually work out at home. Let me ask you a question. Can you work out at home? Can you work out at the gym? Yeah. He also said that about 30% of the people who have a gym membership actually use their gym membership. 
Some of you are like, oh man, that's deducted out of my pay every, and my paycheck every, every two weeks or every month. I need to stop that because I'm not going, right? What, what am I saying to you? You can work out at home. You can work out at the office. You can work out at the gym, wherever. But do you do it? Places are powerful. Now, in the last two years, we've learned that we can decentralize worship and we can worship at home. But do we? We can, but do we? Places are powerful. And one of the things that I've observed over the last two years is that um, worship has been allowed and service and, and magnification of God and the, the, the preeminence of his word have become white noise background for us. I've heard over and over and over again, oh yeah, we, we have it on, we, 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 we watch it online and there's people watching online right now and some of you have stepped away to get a refill of your coffee or do whatever and it's become background noise. Some of you are locked in, some of you, but, but hey, wait, don't judge people online because the same thing happens in the room. Some people were checked out over the last few minutes. You're like dazed off and thinking about what you're going to eat next or thinking about, oh, I haven't worked out. So like you can do it both places so there's no judgment. But the point is, I think that there has been a tremendous, um, I've, I've observed, a, a tremendous erosion of our worship because we lost the honor and the sacredness of the power of a place. And, and, and God is restoring that. And I know that there are very good reasons for us not being able to assemble together at times. But let us not forget that, and I will say this unapologetically, that the word says that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, even more so as the day, what day? The day of Jesus' return approaches. So it shouldn't be a shock that as the church moves toward that moment of Jesus' return, that there's gonna be a gravitational pull away from worship. So we have to be mindful of that. And I'm concerned that we're, we're, just not, we're just not getting back to that place that we were, and so in this text we see Jesus saying a key to worship. Now there's much more to this text than what I'm able to share with you in these moments. I know it goes further than this, but the two words that I want you to see are spirit and truth. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Attitudes can contaminate our worship. Attitudes can contaminate our worship. I want you to write this down as well, if you would, please. Attitudes can elevate our worship. They can contaminate and they can elevate. He brings out these two words of spirit and truth. And um, over the years I've observed, I've watched for, I, I'm a very introspective person. I'm observational, I watch. I don't necessarily try to form a judgment, but I try to see what is standing in our way of spiritual growth. And I, I didn't know that I was doing this, but I've been doing this since I was a teenager, watching and observing at times, seeing patterns form, watching routines and habits land that shouldn't be um, occurring. And I, I've, I've watched for years these two things that Jesus brings to us, spirit, and truth in context that he's talking about, this is the true heart of worshipers that the Father's looking for. 
truth and spirit. The thing that God is looking for in our worship is and are the two things that have been at odds with each other for decades now. Truth and spirit. And I want to outline some of those conflicts. And it, it, and it shouldn't be a shock to us that truth and spirit can end up being at odds with one another because the enemy always wants to divide and separate what God wants to bless and honor. So if he wants to bless and honor a thing, the enemy's gonna work overtime to get them separated. And, and, and our Father wants spirit and truth together, yet we end up fitting into one or two categories. Truth, I'm gonna borrow a, a phrase from an individual that I respect that I think really describes it. Truth in worship ends up being shoulders up. It's heady. It's intellectual. We try to reason it out. We become critics from the pews in areas in which we shouldn't be. And so our worship is from the shoulders up. Mind is involved. We're rationalizing and sorting things. We're almost, um, if you want to, want to say it this way, this way um, you are the Spock of the worshipers. You remember Spock from Star Trek? All logic, no emotion. And there is no place in the truth only worshiper's mind for emotion in worship. The shoulders up worship, they are almost, in this mindset, almost offended by emotion and expression in worship. They end up labeling people who are expressive as emotional and over the top, things of that nature. They're the individuals who are looking for only theological accuracy in the lyrics. And make no mistake, theological accuracy is not something to um, give, um, what's the word, to give, um, um, to make compromise in. Songs should be scripturally correct. Let me just jump fast forward and say, this isn't an either or proposition, this is a both and, okay? So it has to be spirit and truth. But, but sometimes we, we do that, and, and I can't judge, but you can judge if this is authentic worship for you. And if your worship is shoulders up, I think you got the truth part probably right. But to be a fully authentic expression of what God really wants, it has to be head, shoulders, knees and toes. I could spend a lot of time going through Hebrew words talking about the full body being involved in worship. Now, so you have the shoulders up, and that attitude can contaminate worship. That attitude, any, any, either one actually, can end up being a spectator sport, just sitting and watching and judging and forming an opinion about what others are doing. And let me just pause and say this. On either side of the ledger, spirit or truth, it isn't your job to judge what others are doing in their worship. Our assignment in worship is to give our entire heart and soul to him. He is to be the center of our attention. He is to be the main attraction. So stop being busy looking at others and focus on your worship to God because this is about an audience of one 
as Oz Guinness said. So spirit, so shoulders up, but then there's also spirit only. You maybe have been to something like this where um, the environment could care less if it's theologically accurate. All we're interested in is an emotional experience where we feel something. We know that God is in the room because goosebumps get double parked all the way down our arms. And I really feel something. In fact, the spirit only worshiper will accuse others of quenching the spirit if they aren't engaged in worship in a way that they think others should be. I've heard this before here and other places. I just don't get it. Why aren't they getting involved? It's why aren't they engaging in worship? And why aren't, why aren't they expressive like I am? And here's the deal. They're not wired like you. They have to be responsible for their worship to God. And oh, by the way, same thing with the shoulders up worshiper to the spirit only worshiper. Why are you watching? They're not your focus of attention. The standard which they judge by of success is through thrills and chills. A spirit-only worshiper thinks that every worship experience should be the equivalent of a roller coaster ride at Cedar Point. Are there times when that happens? Certainly. What about you, Pastor Josh? Do you engage in those? I love them. The younger version of me, the spirit kind of overemphasized guy, you would be shocked at the things that I've done in a local church service. Wild, crazy, exuberant, full body worship. And there were times where my truth was a little bit light and spirit was heavy. Why, why, do we, why is this important? It's important because if you see yourself in either of these categories in a disproportionate way, I want you to begin to think about what you need to do to bring that balance to your worship life. So, because I primarily have the responsibility of shepherding this congregation and I get to watch it multiple times, I have this sense, this isn't a judgment, it's an observation, that I wonder if we as a church are a little bit too much shoulders up. I wonder if we're just a little too reserved sometimes and are trying to get it here rather than here. Now this isn't a style, I don't care what you do or what you don't do. I, well, that's not true, I probably do. If you do things that are um, so extroverted that you were the one that's the most seen and the most heard, you'll probably be asked to not do that anymore because Jesus is supposed to be the center, not you, right? Not you and your banner and 14 flags that you brought with you and shofar. That's not the center. <laughs> that, really just, that either just made people really mad or they thought it was really funny but didn't know if they could laugh at it or not. Yeah. <laughs> I won't get into all that. Um, but I think we're a little too shoulders up. I, I think we need to relax and loosen up as a church. And, and just so you know, I said this to the 9 a.m. as well. Okay, It's not like I'm picking on one service or the other. I think that our authentic worship is being hindered 
by concern and fear of what other people will say or do or think about our expression. And listen, if you're not doing it for them, then who cares what them thinks? I know that's poor grammar, but I did it on purpose. I can't string a sentence together if I try. Are we, what, are we, what, are, what, is our, what is our attention and our time going to? I think that oftentimes the fear of other people rob us of entering into spirit worship, letting us go there. And here again, I'm not looking for a specific response from you, but what I am, what I am trying to do and endeavoring to do is to come alongside of you in your spiritual journey as you learn the word and help you answer the question, did I just worship authentically? That's yours to answer. And this is a growing process for all of us. It's a growing process for all of us. And make no mistake about it, worship will engage all of our emotions. And affectionless worship, I don't think is all that valuable. Now what expression you attach to that affection is a completely different story. But there should be affection. There should be heart and emotion involved, not just head knowledge. I'm gonna finish with this passage of scripture. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says some very sharp words. He says, hypocrites. Isn't that a wonderful way to start a conversation? Jesus has a way of starting conversations. If you read the Gospels, watch for this. Hypocrites, brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs. Like he like goes in on, like he's going in on the religious folks. He's going in on probably the shoulders up thinkers. The theologically, to the letter of the law, remember, forgetting the spirit of the law kind of folks. And I don't have enough information to, and have no desire to judge whether that's you or not, but I have to judge the hypocrite in my own life, the me, that lets other things get in the way of my worship. Now remember, worship is more than a song. We talked about on the front end, when you're in the car with the Uber driver, do you form a judgment and an opinion based on a difference that you observe? Are you moving them closer? Well, listen to what he says. Hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying this. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. I don't want to worship in vain. And I don't want you to exercise worship in vain. Spirit and truth matching and heart and mouth matching are the keys to not living a hypocritical life. That your heart matches your words. That your attitude reflects in your words. That What's on the inside is reflected on the outside through what you say, what you do. Because you all know this, that words have a certain energy attached to them. 
You can tell a lot about what's going on. You say, well, isn't that judgmental? No, their words have either life or death attached to them. And Jesus said that we are to judge according to people's fruits. We're not judging, but we can be fruit inspectors. You can say you love all people, but does your heart match your words? And as soon as you say it, you'll know even if nobody else does. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever's here has to come out here. Thanks again for joining us for this message from More Life Church. Now, if this message spoke to you, we would love for you to share it with someone you think could use it. And finally, if you would like to partner with us financially, you can do that by visiting morelifechurch.com give. Now have an amazing day.